Hello everyone and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're back, it's been a little while, but that's because we've been playing lots of games and tonight we're going to talk about lots of systems. So with me as always is my good friend Baz, how are you doing Baz? I'm alright, I'm really good thanks mate. This is the first time in weeks you've not said, and I need you to roll a dice. Yeah. Your question. Yeah, yeah. I've not seen you for like, you know, 16 hours or something, it's, it's great to see you again. This is going to be a Powered by the Apocalypse kind of uh, podcast, isn't it? Because we're not going to roll unless we really, really need to. It's going to be a conversation. That's right. Fiction first, and then we're going to roll plus hot. We're going to show, can we do non-fiction first to make it a factual podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that then. So... Uh, what we wanted to talk about today was some system stuff. So let's get the uh, elephant out of the room before we start, because any kind of conversation that, that we have or anyone has around system matters is people start yeah. arguing whether it does or not. And it does. It doesn't matter as much as getting the right people around the table or having fun or all the other things. So let's let's just assume before we start this conversation that the caveat is you need nice people and not idiots in your game and all that kind of stuff. Let's just assume that's yeah. a given. So all things being equal, what can we get from systems? What's good? What's not? What's helped? What's different rather than just the dice on the table? How do they make you feel? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree, mate. I think um, the question, does system matter, is is, is not a very productive one um, because the answer is yes. So that's the end of that podcast. Right, good. Let's move on to a different question. So I was thinking about this earlier, mate, and and, and here's, here's my thoughts. Why is it why is it that the system matters so much to people? Because gamers being gamers, man alive, do we love to talk about D4s and D6s and modifiers and whether it's narrative or simulationist or whatever the current game theory is. It's, a, it's kind of the topic that just will not die. Hmm. So the system clearly does matter. And my, I'm more interested in finding out why and and what can you what can we do with that knowledge? How can we leverage it to get better games? Interesting. I think the first thing that it matters for is the effect that you have on the game world. So we were playing a game just recently, and a flesh golem burst out and started attacking us. And you happen to know that system, or like, okay, well, this is this is real trouble for us. If that hits us, we're going to die and stuff. And the description from the DM was very evocative, and it said like a huge monstrous beast and stuff. Uh, but it isn't until the system interacts with it that that means something to players potentially. So, as it happened, it was an injured golem. We hit it once, and it fell over. So all that build-up disappeared. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the the system will inform that sort of thing. So if you're playing a game where you do the maximum damage you can on your damage dice, for your Warhammer mm -hmm. or whatever it is, and the GM just says, okay, yeah, you hit it, it doesn't seem to care at all, that gives the player some fear about their character's safety. Mm. As opposed to you hit it and he goes, oh, yeah, well, it's you know it's fallen over now and it's, it's on its last legs and bleeding out of all its holes. It's just from how you, you uh, affect the game world through the system, can affect the mood and feel of the game. If you can kill things easily, you'll get more of a pulpy style to the game and feel more confident and able as characters. And if your actions fail quite often and don't re produce results, you're more likely to get a gritty, worrying, scared about my character kind of feel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you on that one, mate. It's um, I find it quite interesting going into a, a new game 
or with a system that I don't know particularly well. We've, we've done loads of that. We're going to reference, aren't we? I think we're going yeah. to reference a good half dozen games that we played over the last couple of weeks that have all been excellent and they've been very, very varied as well. And I think that's what has led us to, to us talking about system again. I think um, when I get into a game and I don't know the system that well, I kind of want to see how it feels. Now, it's game designers all over the world are kind of probably going to, I don't know, sneer a little bit at the, at the word feels, but feels is reels in my games. You know <laughs> I'm going mean? to sneer at that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mind feels. No, I don't blame you. But feels I'm, is reels. I'm, I'm sneering at myself. <laughs> I'll give you a near sneer in the rear. Uh, what I mean is, it's. Um, I think there's there are there is plenty of games where you get a binary outcome like do you succeed do you fail all right fine and there's like a, a thousand different ways of achieving that in games and I think we were saying to our good friend Matt just the other week well if that's the case what's wrong with a coin toss because mm. that's a, a binary outcome generator and there's loads of reasons why you don't use a coin toss because it doesn't it would it'd be, well, it'd be bollocks wouldn't it who's going to buy a game where you get like a two pence piece in it. It's like, here you go, it's a metal dice, woo. <laughs> <laughs> Heads or tails. Or you, and, or, you know, best of three, let's make it an extended challenge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could do that. So there is obviously something about core mechanics and the system, and the system isn't just the dice you roll or the cards you play. It could be all kinds of things. It could be whether it's got classes and levels or whatever. But it, it, they're definitely there for a reason. Otherwise, I think we would just by now 40 50 years into the industry of having tabletop role-playing games we would have found the mechanic that works mm. and we haven't have we no so feel matters yeah i think there is there is sometimes this perception certainly of some games uh like the one that took the internet by storm this week was the iron sky rpg which is i think three years late and uses a d1000 <laughs> system and reads like some kind of haynes manual for mathematics which is obviously not great. And some people seem to create new, different systems because they want to have a different system because they want to copy anybody yeah. else's or they want a system for their game without really a design goal in mind or anything like that. So that, that's a bit rubbish. But generally speaking, lots of the games are perfectly acceptable and serviceable. I think it it really comes down to... A, 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 there's a divide, I think. Like some games designers have, or games companies, have their stock systems. So Chaosium quite often uses D100 type games based on BRP and that kind of stuff. And Modiphius obviously has its 2D20 and D&D is always D&D of a various stripe and that kind of stuff. Uh, and other, another direction to go is create systems that highlight the thing you want to do. So to reference mm -hmm. one of the games that we've been playing, or certainly have, uh, the One Ring has a subsystem which you use for Encounters, so you're talking to people for journeys, which happen a lot in the books and films, and then for fights, which is abstracted. Mm. So there's not a lot else in there for doing things other than that, which will, will just be one role or whatever else. But that that's a clear design intent by having the system saying you're going to encounter people, and then you're going to go on a journey, and then you're going to fight something. And that's kind of that's what you do because that's what the system is laying out for you mechanically. But a lot of the text in the book is about that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, so sometimes I mean, there's always this thing as well isn't there like sometimes people play games and ignore the system or just change it ad hoc without testing it out whatever Yeah. Uh, and they say we could, if you want to do the great British Bake Off using D&D you can do that you can <laughs> but what? like all the, the words in the book aren't assisting you in having a good Bake Off competition they're assisting you in exploring and fighting orcs and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff 
not that I'm saying there's so, anything wrong with using your system for whatever you want to, but I'm saying that the, the things that systems can bring, which is what you're talking about, is trying to get you to have a certain experience at the table by providing structure for that thing. Yeah, that's a better way than saying feel is real. <laughs> so, <laughs> I get you though, mate. So there's there's that whole, um, I think uh, back in the 90s and 2000s when indie games were really pushing on and changing the hobby all around us, they were, they were a great example of uh, of games that did one thing, but did it really, really well. Laser focus was the kind of words you would hear bandied around. Yeah. Um, if you want a game about walking up a mountain to visit the shrine on the top, that's what it does. Mm. Uh, has it got swimming rules? Well, no, there's no rivers on this mountain, so why would it need swimming rules? And you think, oh, yeah, okay, great. And then, But at the same time, and almost parallel, I guess, there are plenty of, as, as you alluded to, there's house systems, and they keep on blooming up, don't they? So one of the uh, many of the games that we played in the last few weeks, we've been really getting our feet wet into uh, 2D20, which wasn't a, a game system that I had a huge amount of experience with before. We've played Conan in an age undreamed of, which I think is fair to say is 2D20 turned up to, well, 20 yeah. or 40. Oh. There's two of them. <laughs> and um, we played Dishonored, which is, I think it's, it's just out in PDF, I think. It's like yeah. really hot off the presses. And and that's 2D20 turned way back down on the on the crunch scale. Yeah. So really interesting to see those. Now that's obviously a house system. That's Modifius's, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And they've used it in, in games I don't possess, but they've used it, I think, at least half a dozen times now. Yeah, the Star um, Trek and Infinity and the whole bunch of mm, stuff. Mutant Chronicles. There's a bunch. There's a bunch. And, and I'm thinking as well of like you know our favourites, uh, Free League or Free Elegan, who have their house system. Um, but it's tweaked for every single game. It's a little bit different, and then sometimes, like Tales from the Loop, it can be, it can be quite basic for want of a better word, yeah. and, and it can be cranked all the way up to to other, other things to do. I, I, with our experience of two D twenty, I've walked away from that thinking that's that's fine. That's a perfectly serviceable system. I quite like it in some ways. It's got a nice feel to it. I'm chucking a couple of D twenties. I'm not doing any lookups. Um, I know what I need to roll. There's all kinds of other little things that fire off of it. Happy days. But has has that system delivered me a great game of Conan? Did it deliver me a great game of Dishonored? And crucially, did they feel any different? Because I, th I think, you know, if you know your way around the video game of Dishonored, you wouldn't call it a Conan game, would you? No. Uh, and vice versa. Um, and, and the jury's out for me on that one. Um, I don't mind 2D20 as a system at all. But I, I wonder if those kind of house systems... Um, can well, they're going to get ease of use and if you've played one you'll, you'll have a big inroad into the next game that you buy but does it generify your experience does it bland it out a little bit yes what would the smart party do roll for initiative end of the podcast again another another yes <laughs> question another role playing problem solved <laughs> it's, um, it's bug or feature time isn't it like if you really like yeah. 2d20 then you can play any of their games and all the set these license settings and have a great time I know what you're doing and there's no barrier to entry mm. particularly you kind of get on board really quickly the downside is that just tweaking a system doesn't give you perhaps the same experience as bespoke system for that thing that you're trying to create uh -huh. yeah so while Conan was you know I had a fun time can't say it was horrible experience like you like I wouldn't balk at signing up for a game at a convention or something like that I did equally think something like Savage Worlds or Fate or a Cypher system or any other sort mm. of, not a house system, but a generic system like that or a toolkit system 
would have done an equally good job. I'm not. I mean, we only played it a couple of times, but I didn't really see what was Conanny about two D twenty. Yeah, if you know what I yeah. mean. And the same when I played Star Trek and when I played Dishonored, there wasn't a lot that was saying. It didn't like completely take me out of the setting. I didn't play Dishonored thinking, "Oh, this isn't like a grubby tricon hat wearing sort of steampunky mm. setting or anything." But equally, it wasn't doing anything particularly to make me feel like I was in that video game world either. Mm. So I think yeah. those sort of set it, those sort of systems rather are just kind of designed to be what people call uh, fed into the background systems. So when you know them, they don't kind of get in the way of the fiction as much because you can kind of just do your stuff and get on with it. Perhaps. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I have heard people say that before. People say that a lot about um, basic role playing. Yeah. Which I guess if you people people have played that for decades, haven't they? So no wonder it fades into the background. It must be just intuitive, like mm. you know, roll the roll the percentage dice and don't even have to glance at them. It's just like muscle memory, isn't it? So I, I kind of get that. However, um, and and for, if that's a feature for people, then great. I don't really want my system to fade into the background that much because for me, system well, it does matter. It maybe matters more to me than it does to other people, and obviously it's going to matter less to me than it does to many people too. I don't think there's a spectrum of good to bad on this, but it's definitely a spectrum. And I think if you are going to use house rules, or sorry, house systems or generic rules, you I think you kind of have to accept um, that maybe your game of uh, of Conan might might slide into a game of Star Trek without knowing it, <laughs> which would just be a really weird crossover. Um, really weird. But you would know this, mate, because you've played and uh, and evangelised for Savage Worlds so much over a, quite a long period of time. Uh, you must have run an awful lot of genres in it, and, and people would say it always brings a bit of pulp to the game. Yes. Um, is, that, is that a fair thing to say? And obviously that's not going to put you off using Savage to play the games you want to play. No. Uh, but I know when I'm playing those games that they are going to be of that type. It it instantly feels more like a PG-13 game when I'm playing Savage Worlds because I get the kind of you know Saturday morning films or whatever, but Rogers or that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, the and, and again, that sort of like thing I was talking about. How competent is your character? Is the thing that comes out in Savage Instant? Like we've played a few games of D and D recently, and sometimes I feel like I'm just smashing crabs. As we yeah. literally were in one adventure, like you're hitting things with a hammer, waiting for them to die, and, and other yeah. times I'm either really uh, fragile with my hit points, or I, I know kind of like where the level is, the dial is on my hit points as to how much danger I'm in, kind of thing. And Savage does a different thing with the shaker mechanic, which can just temporarily put you at a disadvantage, and then having up to three wounds and then you're out, kind of thing. But but probably won't die. Yeah. And it's things like that that crucially add that flavour to the world. Um, so. You know, your savage characters are going to be quite competent. They got a wild mm. dying. They've got bennies to spend. They can make rerolls. They can soak damage. They can do all kinds of things like that. Uh, and I know it's not a ticking off exercise with hit points as well. Like if you get wounded, you know about it, so you try not to. And as soon as you start getting wounded, you kind of go into a spiral and then you're out, kind of thing. Yeah. But for a long time, your characters are competent within the setting. And there's rules for mooks, really, as we call them, or like you know, really weak characters that you can take down mm-hmm. hand over fist. Or two fisted, as the setting might be, so that, that that savage gives you that kind of feeling. Um, whereas if you're playing a game where I don't know, there's a skeleton that has twenty hit points, and you you do about five hit points damage to every turn, it's going to take you four turns to get rid of that skeleton. I don't know. Does it feel more grindy, or does it feel that does that feel more uh, natural as a, a fighting game for you, or 
does it feel like skeletons are harder in that game than they would be in a Savage Worlds game, for example? You know, it just right. gives you yeah, yeah, yeah. the system in that respect is giving you that flavour. And because of the like the tricks you can do in Savage Worlds and all those other things, we're supposed to distract someone and make them vulnerable so your friend can hit them. And the cards for initiative, the poker chips you have stacked up for your bennies, all that kind of stuff does make it feel more like a fun family game almost I would say than trying to play for example an OSR game where you know you've only got very few hit points uh, anything could kill you at any time and that doesn't matter just make a new character yeah. you know so that yeah, yeah. immediately like the way the games are set up and what happens to your character or what your character can do inform the way the game feels I think yeah and, and we probably get as every gamer does we get stuck into core mechanics probably a bit too often but they, they, actually maybe a better way of looking at it is I think you could grade a game on its lethality uh, or its reliability and, and other words end in L Y. So if you look at Savage Worlds, it's entirely possible to one shot just about anything, isn't it? If the dice fall your way, yeah. and and my recollection of Savage is that because of that exploding mechanism, where if you roll the maximum on a dice, you can roll it again and keep adding, and there's no upper limit to that, um, and you've got a wild dice, so you know you roll a six, and and all of a sudden you could be rolling 42, 43, and um, and and things just got very very serious. Whereas you go to your D and D game and uh, or Dishonored, which we played this week, you find out a city guard has got seven stress and you can only deal three. You know you can't one shot it, mm. and you know in fact that you can't two shot it. You've got to two and one third shot it, and you just can't help but run the maths in your head because the system doesn't fade into the background when you're learning it. In yes. That in our first games maybe if we played it 20 times we would feel differently but but I remember looking across the virtual table at you and you looking at me and going oh okay alright so that's how it is and it definitely gives you a different buzz from the game and for some people that would be a buzz kill yeah yeah so for me in my head I was thinking of when I played the computer game and you got behind someone you take them out and I'd, so I'd mm. done a similar thing but I didn't take him out and I knew it was going to take two more turns to take him out so that <laughs> yeah. that, that didn't yeah. then feel like the computer game so that's why it was yes. odd for me. Uh, right. I think if it were, if there wasn't a, a licensed product, I would be thinking more kind of like, oh god, these guys are hard. I thought I could, I thought we were equally good as them, but actually we're weaker than the guards. So now we're in yeah. trouble. We have to think about it. Uh, it has to be said, of course, that uh, the GM did miss some mook rules where if you hit yeah. someone and they're a mook, they just kind of go out. So there is that right. mechanic in the game itself. It was just that we hadn't seen it when we played it. But it's um, I, I quite like the idea though that um, you when you look at a game and certainly if you're designing one and if you're picking one up as a punter and you think this is going to work for me and my group, I think it might be handy to know what kind of feel that game is going to give you and it will deliver that through system mm -hmm. because the game can't legislate for the people you've got sitting around your table. The game can't tell you whether your room is too hot or you're getting tired. You know, the game can't legislate for that. What it can do, though, is it can give you, uh, it can give you rules that might range from super gritty, where you know you're going to get like a, there's rules for infection, for example, or there's rules for aging, um, uh, or it could go completely the other way, and there could be a, a total absence of those rules, or even a buffer against them, where you've got like hero points or bennies or or um, or poker chips that you can drop into just retcon situations um, so there's all kinds of little levers that games can pull and even in those house systems we've talked about I think in every iteration of the game they've tried to adjust the dials a little bit yeah. to give a feel mm. so I personally uh, for systems I'm not sure that I enjoy high lethality games I like high risk games but I don't really like Having to be uh, having to be rolling up a new character every session, or worse, sitting in a hospital bed for three months. 
Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and there's a, I, I think it's a, it's a surprising amount of games uh, where that is a badge of honour. You know, the healing yeah. is super realistic. You, if you get if you get shot with a gun, you are basically going to have to go to intensive care. Well, that's I don't know where the game is in playing that. But <laughs> there you go. What would the smart party do? Natural twenty. There's a lot of games that do that sort of thing, and it's a weird one on the internet where people get into arguments about this kind of stuff about what's believable. Uh, you know, yeah. whether the very similitude is and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you believe in dragons or Cthulhu. So why are you annoyed that this person can heal faster than typically all right, or doesn't have to make an infection roll to see whether they die of yeah. you know septicemia or something? So <clears throat> gamers can be funny about what sort of things they get upset about about what's real and what isn't, and that leads you to conversations around different systems that some are designed to be simulationist, so it should yeah. feel gritty and real, and others aren't. Uh, and I I'm probably similar to you, although in a slightly different way. But I prefer games that give a certain feel or lend to how things should be so if you're playing Buffy the Vampire Slayer for example I'm not expecting a lot of people to die all the time yeah. uh, and I do expect to be Buffy to be better than all the rest of them but the rest of them seem to get away with it most episodes of the show for example so I'd mm. expect the system to reflect that as well mm. so even having hit points arguably in that kind of system doesn't make a lot of sense it should be more about narrative escapes or can you play, you know use your emotional blackmail to get the hero to do what you want this time, or that kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think quite often when we talk system, a lot of people look flick straight to a combat chapter and offer that. Well, you might play a game that doesn't even have combat in it, or shouldn't do. Well, agreed. I, mean, I think it's a, it's a, sometimes it's a really good mental exercise, and we all do it all the time. Is you think of a think of a license or a property, an intellectual property that you enjoy, it can be absolutely anything um, that isn't already covered by a role playing game. Um, and we have to do this sort of thing all the time, don't we? Like, you know, a new film will come out and you'll see somebody post on a message board about, oh, wow, I really, I really enjoyed... Uh, uh, no, my mind's gone blank. What's been on Netflix recently that's been a good series? Is it Penny Dreadful? No, that wasn't it. No, that's not recent, but it is a decent series. Yeah, I've not seen it, but I don't think there's a role-playing game for that. Oh, I'm going to get beast. <laughs> yeah, I hope there is now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm try- no, I'm thinking of the thing that was on Netflix that had kind of, I think it may have had Jude Law in it, because it always does, and it was kind of Dickensian, and people had fairy wings. And- oh, uh, I think I now know what you mean, but it was on yeah. Prime, and it had Orlando yes, Blooming, and, yes, and Cara Delevingne. <laughs> Thank you, well done. <laughs> and it was called... Uh, Car- it was <laughs> like Carnival Row or something like that. Carnival Row! Yeah. I think it was called Carnival Jesus. Right, so that was hot as anything while it was out. Yeah. Happy days. Couldn't move on Twitter for not seeing that. Don't think there's a role-playing game for it. Fine. So the question is, like, what would you use for it? And it could be any IP that you think of. And this is why you know system matters, because, yes, you would have people going, fate, why is that then? Because I use it for everything. Okay, you're now out of this discussion. <laughs> uh, basic role-playing, why? Because it just fades into the background and... I know it really, really well. Well, that's good for you, but you know, if you were putting together a box set, what would you do? Yeah. And it, it can be quite interesting to look at, okay, so what do we know about the intellectual property? What kind of field is it trying to evoke? What are the stories it's trying to tell? Um, what's what's the kind of mission parameters, the core activities? How lethal is it? You know, do people bounce back from a punch or or does it have fighting at all, like you suggest? And then you start looking for systems to try and emulate it. And you may even have to write your own or hack one. Mm. But you know, we live in a golden age where there's a hundred different gaming choices from, from Cortex to Hero System, from the classics like GURPS to D20 still kicking ass, 
you've got your two d20s on the oh, we could go on forever couldn't we about them and core mechanics yeah but if you take one of those ips and perhaps we won't do carnival row because neither of us clearly know it well enough well <laughs> but but what would you pick and i come to that because you you talk about the one ring a lot mm. i think rightly so and i guess it's because it delivers the tolkien yes it does so briefly on carnival row i think this is well i would like a million tangents at this rate but uh, it, it <laughs> yeah. depends on what element of the show you want to go for because the, in the foreground it's kind of um, uh, the Fae and whatever else are kind of minority classes so you could investigate that kind of racism or something like that angle if yeah. you wanted to uh, at the heart of it there's kind of an investigative thing so you could look at gumshoe or something like that if that's the angle you want to do and yeah. there's a good flashback episode where it's in the middle of a war and like there's airships dropping bombs and a castle and there's riflemen and snipers and werewolves and stuff it's like well I pick a completely different system than Gumshoe or anything else if I was going to do that kind of campaign that's you know you could use mm. GTNR or you know a military style game if you wanted to so um, even if you're doing an IP you have to think about what it is about that IP that you want to have in your game and have a system that supports doing that thing or those things okay um, so for the one ring and like don't get me wrong it's a completely quirky system there's all kinds of like <laughs> bugs and twiddles and weird stuff in it and occasionally you just have to stop and go I have no idea what I roll for that and you've kind of got to dig through the rules to work out <laughs> what on earth you have to roll for this one thing um, so like people going into it need to understand that it's not like a perfect read uh, certainly if you get the slipcase edition which was two books they were just a hot mess frankly uh, mm. thankfully Cubicle 7 did a job and put it in one big hardback so get that edition if you're going to get it uh, although there will be another edition out at some point in the future it sounds like God, it's complicated yeah <laughs> Free League have now picked it up Cubicle 7 aren't doing it anymore Sophisticated Games who are on the license still have it they've now partnered with Free League who we know and love so there will be a Free League Sophisticated Games with Francesco and some other familiar faces around who do another version of the One Ring so God knows what that will look like right okay so there you go that's my future proofing for the podcast anyway it's time recording <laughs> we're going with the revised look we're alright for the future but we can't remember two months ago what was on Netflix no wow. quite right because <laughs> it was on Amazon Prime so <laughs> <laughs> well this is an interesting thing one of the things I like about the One Ring is it's got an abstracted combat system so you have either uh, one of four stances you can either be like in the front forward stance really fighting hard you can be open, which is a kind of generic, just dancing about. There's kind of a defensive stance if you want to protect other people. And then a rearward stance where you're shooting arrows at the back kind of thing. And they're not necessarily how close you are to the, to a particular enemy. You don't put miniatures out on the board to like face them off and work out five foot steps. They're just how involved you are. And if you're at a forward stance, you can hit things a lot more easily because the target number comes down. But the target number comes down for you as well. So you might take more damage because you're getting stuck mm -hmm. in with the fighting and that sort of thing and then each stance has a special action for that stance you could do so you could awe your enemy which is basically intimidate them again to try and run away if they're craven but you can only do that if you're forward stance no one's going to pay any attention to you even cowardly goblins if you're stood at the back trying to tell them to go away but if you're right up front saying I am Arathor and son of whatever arrogant son of Arathor and all that kind of stuff and waving your sword about they might flee and similarly if you want to defend someone you've got to be quite far back and that kind of thing so um, there's a tactical element to it but it is abstracted hmm. um, and I think that's, that for me works how I remember like the battle at Weathertop and, and th you know, other, other Tolkien type battles I've had, it's not about down in dungeons and being tactical in that sense 
it's more kind of the, the tactics come from does Aragorn leap to the front and try and defend the hobbits and you know do the hobbits go stick right to the back and at some point uh, you know hobbits pulled out his sword and runs up to try and stab the troll and stuff that happens in the fiction yeah. this is the way the mechanics work sometimes it's up to the hobbit to like he can't be in rearward stance anymore because nobody else can take any more hits they're all in trouble so he's going to have to move to a forward stance or an open stance to try and hit the troll with his little sword even though it's hope against hope and that kind of thing so there's elements within it without getting too crunchy that every time you you, you can picture Tolkien in your head or I can anyway or the books or the films right. you kind of see the scenes right. coming alive through the system now I did see a one of my loyal listeners have posted up quite recently like that he likes tactical combat and he didn't feel that Tor was doing that for him and I think that's fair right. because it's not supposed to it's not supposed to be a tactical combat it's supposed to be more of a narrative combat mm. um, so the feature before you fight for example you make a battle roll to see if you can get the lay of the land and work out any cunning things and that might give you some extra dice to roll in the, in the coming battle and you can just tick your battle dice off when you use them and go oh, I'm just going to run an extra 2 dicks 6 this time hooray for me but what you're supposed to do is describe what the feature is in the scene. Mm. And you say, well, I'm going to push the back towards the open fire. So he's got fire at his back and can't go anywhere. And that's what's giving him extra dice. Uh, which sort of leads me into the conversation a little bit of the system's not always what dice you're rolling. It's what mm. you're bringing to the table. And some games say to you, when you spend this dice, then you should say this. And that like, spill it out for you. And others don't. They just say, here, have a bonus for this. Mm. So... A probably forgotten bit of system is the dressing you put around it, which good play, role players will try and do anyway, and you know dress things up and make them sound cooler and add narration and stuff. Uh, good systems actually have that written in the text, saying when you do this thing, tell us what happens and that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, so this is a bit of that. So yes, the one ring's very quirky, but for me, if you buy into it and you're trying to in your head replay the movies or reread the book, it it just supports doing those sort of things. I think. Right, and, and I think that's that's the gold standard, isn't it? And maybe not the One Ring. I don't know it well enough to say that. But if you are trying to achieve something, whatever that is, does it do that? Mm. And, I, and I think that, that some of the poorer systems, and I will call them poorer systems, are the ones where you either can't tell what it is they're trying to achieve anyway, or you can tell what they're trying to achieve, and they clearly don't do that. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't commit to their own design principle. Like you'll read the introduction and it'll say this is a game about I don't know daring do and flashing blades and then find out later on that you've got a system for uh, injuries that puts you in hospital for a week every time you can tank yeah. and it's like well, that, that, that's, they're, they're singing against each other they're the, I can feel the grind in this system this isn't working um, so I think that's a tough call by the way as someone who's written a game it's really really difficult to do um, and I don't blame companies at all for going with house systems or or even for for gamers for going for something generic, mm. you know, you want to get you want to build up your GURPS collection or you want to give it up your Savage collection. I, I'm never going to say that's the wrong thing to do, because, you know, clearly I think um, familiarity with rules will get you past a bunch of other stuff that might that might be an obstacle in a different game. Yes, um, uh, but I think it's it's difficult to find those perfect blends. It's not even of setting and system. I think it's of design goal and execution I think it's difficult to find those games I think one that I've, I would recommend we've spoken about before I think Blades in the Dark does a very good job of doing what it says it's going to do mm. uh, and it does a very good job of telling you what it's going to do um, and that's something that I find helpful when I'm trying to pick up a new game or I'm a little way into it and I've, I've reached a bit of a, a bump in the road I like to circle back and go 
well, what was the game trying to achieve here? Mm. And it often helped me understand kind of what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. which is another thing we've spoken about. Yeah. To take the the Dishonored example, for example, for example, 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 example. Uh, when we were playing that, it didn't feel like the system was stopping us playing Dishonored particularly. No, no, no. Uh, but when we play Blades in the Dark, it feels like we're playing Dishonored. You know, (laughs) and that's the sort of like an illustration of the example. I think we're trying to say is that some systems help you do the thing you're trying to do, even unconsciously, just by playing the game and following what it tells you to do, roll the dice it tells you to do, and all that kind of stuff. And you suddenly Mm -hmm. feel like you're a gang of thieves in a dirty city, and everybody's wearing tricorn hats, and it's a bit gloomy and a bit Victorian, a bit steampunk, and it all just suddenly starts happening because of the way the system's been designed. Whereas a more generic system like Two D Twenty. You can still play that game totally, and you're not transported out of the world by any stretch. But it it's not giving you that same support at playing that sort of game. Yeah, it's not pushing you deeper into the stories that it wants to tell. Is yeah, it? correct. What would the smart party do? Never knowingly fast or loose. It's not pushing you in. It's not pulling you out. It's not pushing you in. It's just being quite neutral. And I, and I think that that's that's a valid approach for a rule set to take, and a valid decision for a purchaser to make. Yeah. Is that I want a rule set which is going to be, you know, really neutral. It's just I'm going to be able to pour my flavors onto it with my my mates and my narration skills and my performative aspects, and um, and the structure of the game will be absolutely intact. Yeah. Um, you know, and there, there are other games that have perhaps perhaps push you towards you know a way of telling the story and then i'm sure that in those games that could be a really uncomfortable if ever you wanted to step off of that path and and push it into a different direction mm. and you know if you want to i think i mean a classic example is and i know that you can do this because you can do anything in any role-playing game so don't at me but if you play D and you want to open a watermelon store and do an import export business you there is nothing stopping you but but the system ain't helping you with that much either no. And the other people who sat down at the table and wanted to go and like find some orcs and slay them are going to be getting annoyed with you for saying that this is what you want to do mm. and for pursuing that path. They just are. Yeah. So, you know, go and buy your watermelon trading game or, or write it, <laughs> I would suggest. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And this is something that uh, I often bump up against people whether I'm trying to perhaps not articulating it correctly, but if I'm playing something like D&D, there's a big chunk of that book that's got, like, how to fight things in. And you level mm-hmm. up and all your abilities are about curing your hit points when you've taken damage or doing more damage to someone else or rolling bigger dice to do your damage and adding a different type to it and all that kind of stuff. So if you're not if you're not doing those things, it feels like you're leaving a lot of the book out because that's what's mm-hmm. there. And then if you're playing Watermelon Stall or whatever you want to do and there's no rules for it, I start to, I don't know, it feels like using a fork when you use a knife or something like that. I don't. For me, who's comfortable playing a lot of different games, I don't know why you won't find a better game to do the thing that is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, yeah. again, I'm not. If people want to just stick with D and D and that's all they ever want to play and play all kinds of things, they want to play The Wire and have an investigative, you know, cop drama or something using D and D. You fill your boots. Uh, I wouldn't because there are other things that do those sort of games better. Like they, they push you into the fiction, as you say. Right. So I think um, I think a, a good kind of case study would be Call of Cthulhu, or should I say Lovecraftian role-playing, mm. because Call of Cthulhu is a rule system, apart from anything else, and also the name of the short story. Lovecraftian role-playing, uh, I, could, I could rapidly run out of hands if I was trying to count the number of games that have been devoted to 
to delivering a role-playing experience based on the writings of Lovecraft and, and the mythos. So I'm not going to say that any one of them has got it right or has got it wrong. So I'm going to sit massively on the fence. It's not my genre. So luckily I can, I can be completely objective about it. But clearly, clearly, there's uh, everyone who's tried to write the Lovecraftian game, I assume, has tried to write a, a, a game that will push you deeper into the mythos as told by Lovecraft. You've got more experience in that world than I have. Um, we could talk about Trailer Cthulhu, we could talk about Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu Dark, Lovecraft-esque, uh, so many different games. Yeah. You know, where, where are the systems that deliver the Lovecraft experience? What what are the good ones doing and, and what should the other ones maybe try and do less of? It all depends on what you want. I think Call of Cthulhu is... It, it's kind of on a pedestal, isn't it? Because it was like the first game of its type yeah. for that sort of thing. Uh, and certainly a lot of us came to it from playing D&D &D, and all of a sudden it was a completely different way of gaming. Uh, mm -hmm. So I have got a lot of time for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, other people have gone in different directions for a variety of reasons. So something like Cthulhu Dark, for example, if you fight a monster, you die. That's just, mm. that's just it. And it's a really super simple system. So if you don't want to be rolling sanity points or things like that, or any system that's getting in the way of you telling a, a monster story effectively or a ghost story, then Cthulhu Dark might suit you because it's more about the narrative story that you create amongst yourselves. Uh, mm. For people who want some actual game, some game crunch and stuff like that, obviously Cthulhu Dark's not going to give you a lot of that. So that'd be the wrong yep. style of game. We talked to Robin Laws, or certainly I did at the Kraken, and you know he created trailer Cthulhu for a specific, solve a specific problem and that's that too many people were coming up to it at conventions and saying I keep hitting these dead ends in Call of Cthulhu how do I make that go away mm -hmm. now there's a game line that's come out of that it's hugely successful so I can't knock it uh, my argument would be that it's a scenario or GM problem not a system problem but clearly there's been a lot of success from writing a system specifically to handle that, that behaviour that keeps happening in convention games year after year after year and still happens so yeah. if that's something like you feel that happens or you've got a gem that you bump up against and you can't get him to give you multiple ways of getting around a locked door then Trailer Cthulhu solves that for you because the system will tell the gem to do it a different way and you'll get to carry on with your story and then yeah. if you want uh, a kind of like a resourcey game that's it's lightweight but you might run out of things Cthulhu Hack which is based off the Black Hack is another good one from our, our friends at uh, All Rolled Up but that's that's like light enough that it's good for role playing element, but it's got mm. a little bit more than playing something like Cthulhu Dark, for example. So they're all different tweaks about like how do you want your experience to be at the table? Yeah, uh, yeah. and it's that, it's that odd conversation whenever I have some, talk to someone about Call of Cthulhu because they say, "Oh, I like it because the system fades in the background." It's like, well, "Why, why do you care what system it is then?" Oh no, but BRP's best. Mm. Well, why don't you use other rules? Oh no, we don't use all these rules, and it's like, well, you're not. If you're not using the system, you can't tell it's the best one. I'm not you use it or don't, but you can't use an example of I don't play this game or you don't even see the rules as a good reason why those rules are good. Like pick a rules like system or whatever else you want to do, but it depends yeah, on your experience. Well, I, absolutely. I mean one of the things I appreciate about Gumshoe, uh, massively appreciate, is that it sets out its stall. It's trying to uh, give you uh, as a gamer a system that enables you to play investigations. Yeah. So it sets out to all goes that this is what we do. It's called the gumshoe system, which is your first clue, ironically. <laughs> so it's about investigating. And I think, you know, if you really wanted to squint hard at Call of Cthulhu, you would say, is that a game that, that enables you to investigate things? 
doesn't stop you investigating things. Right. Clearly, it doesn't stop you investigating things. And it's got things like spot hidden is a skill. So maybe it's even helping you investigate things. <laughs> so, you know, you can look at these things any way you want to. And you bring your own prejudices to the party as well. Um, but I, th I find it a fascinating case study to see how people treat Lovecraft. And there's still a desire for people to go, oh, yeah, yeah, but I wish I had... Yeah, it's not quite... I want to blend this and take something from there and add a bit to this and this is how I want to do it, uh, which has been happening in, in my field, in fantasy role-playing games, ever since day dot. Yeah. Yeah, people are still writing D&D, &D, and that includes the owners of D&D &D are still rewriting it uh, on a fairly regular basis to try and make it deliver something, maybe something the same, or maybe something better. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever trying to deliver something different. Mm. You need whole new systems for that sometimes, don't you? You do. Yeah, you have to build them from the ground up. I think one of the things about the BRP line that uh, one of the Chaosium guys said recently is that you have fragile characters. So I guess in a way yeah. that fits the Cthulhu genre because the characters are fragile. But then they also are, if you play RuneQuest or another game, so again, if you, I, I suppose RuneQuest is like an original kind of OSR in a way in that it's D&D, &D, but your character's always going to be mm. a little bit too fragile compared to a D&D &D character. Mm. So you're not playing superheroes with powers necessarily. But then there's hero quests for that kind of thing if you want to play superheroes, effectively. So yeah, yeah. Uh, all all these things, I don't know. I think we might be talking in circles a little bit, or I am. Is that you pick the right tool for the job? So the system that will help you do the thing that you want to do. Uh, although I'm aware there's a large section of people who don't really care about what system they use. They just want to sit around and tell a story, which is also fine. But I feel like they're missing out a little bit. It feels like someone who always has meat and potatoes for the tea. And you kind of want to say, can you have lasagna or a chicken curry occasionally? Or, you know, yeah. you don't have to. If they enjoy meat and potatoes, great. But you kind of want them to enjoy something else. Have a bit of a vendelier every now and again. What would the smart party do with the dice to back it up? So uh, let me let me try you with a different tack then, okay? Because I think that's that's all good and that's that's decided. You, you basically, play what you like. Uh, right, okay, how about this then? So what about what about picking a game where the system uh, helps you resolve your conflicts uh, task at a time, okay? Um, and there's loads of those. And we've even got conflict resolution games that will just zoom out a little bit so that you have a fight in one dice roll or one flop of the card, whatever. Those We're gonna put all of those games into one big bin for the minute, not a rubbish bin, just a bin, a silo. Silo, yeah. That's better. But in the other silo, and there are many silos, but in another silo are those games where you don't necessarily, nobody knows where the story is going to go, where the game is going to go. The dice and the decisions will have you laying down the tracks of the story in front of you, like Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. And that includes the GM. So classic case in point might be where we uh, we do some larceny and uh, we're, we're trying, we've got to bring a briefcase from one person to another and we're not allowed to open it. But of course, we do open it look to the GM and go, well, what's in the case? And the GM goes, well, I don't know either. So why don't you tell me? Or why don't we let the dice tell us what's in the case? So that's a very different silo to, to your D&Ds your yeah. and your rune quests. And yeah, I don't want, to, don't, don't want to say trad, but I guess I just did. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's, 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 there's systems, and I don't want to say storytelling, but I guess I just did, where where the system is designed to to lay down a new t a new chapter in the story or a new paragraph mm. or there are systems that are designed to let you know what the outcome of what you decide is uh, on a different kind of just a different perspective yeah it's 
uh, I well, I describe my sort of games as I know there's a the Wizard of Oz and there's a guy behind the curtain. I don't want to see the guy behind the curtain. Uh, you know, mm. I'm, I'm happy to like I can normally push that into the back of my mind about whether the GM's making stuff up or not. For example, when we opened the briefcase, he might have known or he might have not known, just made it up on the spot. But if I have the impression that he's not done, then I'm normally happy with that kind of stuff. I prefer that kind of gaming. Uh, with the more uh, storytelling or narrative games, it's up to everybody to bring stuff to the table. Uh, so it, it can live or die on the people you've got, but then we we have somebody pointing to that to one side. So assume we've got good people on the table. The argument is that if you've got five people or four people, whatever, sat around the table, then those four or five people coming up with ideas is better than just AGM coming up with the ideas. So that gives you more mm. cool stuff, uh, which is not an unfair hypothesis. What I find personally is that sometimes those games get bogged down a little bit in someone going, oh, no, wait, I've had a better idea. Uh, there mm -hmm. tends to be a lot more asking permission. So you can say, I'm going to say this, and he happens to be your brother. Is that all right? So that kind of gets, can slow things down a little bit as well. Uh, and I, I find it harder to get excited about the story because I know we're all making it up and I've got equal agency that you know anyone else around the table has as well. Yeah. Uh, and I sometimes feel disappointed when I have ideas and we go with a different idea, which inevitably happens because you, you're playing by committee. Uh, I, in my head, I could think of how it could have gone better. Whereas I think if you're playing a, in the trad silo, which is over there amongst the field of silos we've got, uh, it's more kind of laid out, even if it's not uh, as railroad as it might seem, it's sort of presented in a way that makes me feel like I've not lost out. Whereas I think playing the more narrative games, I can feel quite a lot like, no, that idea is not great, or you've taken this story or this character in a particular way that I don't like, or it's not really, or not where I expected the game to go. And again, it's bug feature territory. So some people like that kind yeah. of from scene to scene, they don't know what's going to happen next, and you end up with a completely different story than you started out with, and you've gone way off track and done something completely different. And I think, cool, that's brilliant. But for my personal taste, it feels a bit like I'm not playing a steampunk game anymore. We appear to be on an alien spaceship, and everybody's talking about how cool <laughs> it is, and I'm not happy. <laughs> more often than not and a good friend of the show Piers who we've not seen for a while but he, he loves all the kind of Indian small press and narrative games and he loves it and the way he explained it to me was it's not as consistent as other styles of gaming or even more traditional games mm. and he's had some terrible terrible games but when they're good they're the best he's ever had so okay. it could, that's, that's one guy's opinion obviously but his view was that it's more of a gamble but when it works it works really well so I'm thinking uh, power behind power, power by the apocalypse, not behind the apocalypse. <laughs> That's the Warhammer uh, crossover, right? <laughs> power behind the apocalypse coming soon. Uh, powered by the apocalypse, which has uh, which has been like a wildfire across games design for best part of a decade now, mm. uh, maybe more, and um, that has led to a thousand different hacks that are all readily available, and clearly people saw Powered by the Apocalypse by Vincent Baker first time round looked at the concept of moves and the way that it was explained and, and, and the system that he delivered through that and thought this is changing my life enough that they went and wrote a game it's like the people who listened to the Velvet Underground's first album yeah. you know there was only 10,000 people bought it but they all went and formed a band um, I think that's quite exciting whether you like the system or not but it's, it's clearly just exploded into games design, which hasn't moved very far beyond 2D6 plus a stat with three outcomes. Yeah. When, you, when you sum it up like that, it doesn't. it's like, is that it? 
but it's it's been a fundamental shift a bit like disadvantage and advantage in D D. it's so simple that people think it's been around forever but of course it hasn't that you know there's a there's a design there's a, a trinary design there that has really influenced game and this this brings me to my question for you guys i know one of the words that you struggle with more than anything else is the word elegant <laughs> so i think that the trinary system is quite elegant Am I right to do so, or am I going to get gazed? <laughs> Bless yourself. Uh, so, <laughs> misuse of the word elegant. Go. <laughs> yeah, that just to, in my mind, it's elegant. It's simple, but achieves a lot, or something sophisticated, but in a simple way. So, is it elegant? I don't think so. You're just getting three outcomes for your two d six, aren't you? You see, this is one of those things where. The system for Apocalypse World. There's more of that in the text than there is the two D six. So, oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, mate. I should call that out. I think I think many people ran off and just did a two D six plus stat game and went, there you go. It's powered by the Apocalypse. So there was a lot more to yeah. it than that, like a hell of a lot more to it. And some of it didn't even have numbers attached to it. Yes, <laughs> but that, I mean that is an exception. We've heard game designers tell us that they think something's powered by the Apocalypse if you use the two D six mechanic. For for me, that's not it. That's not the whole there is. Like the, the rest of the game comes from all the words in the book that tell you what to do. Yeah. And crucially, I think all the games I've played, or most of the games I've played, don't do what the book tells you to do in the experience I've at the table. And there's the infamous right. Vincent Barker, uh, Baker rather, text online that was on RPGNet where he went through an actual play example, which read more like a normal RPG, but that's not how I've experienced that game dozens of times when I've tried to play it with different people and different gems or MCs or whatever so I don't think it's why I don't think the system works as elegant generally is that is that that lack of what I read as design and what the game tells me it's about and what I'm supposed to do and what happens at the table there's a big disconnect for me a lot of the times even people enjoy it and I'm not saying they're right or wrong to play a game however they want to and whether they're fitting with the designer goals or not who cares the designer probably doesn't but that's that can't be an elegant solution because you've said here's a mechanic here's how you play the game these are the things that's mm. supposed to happen here you go and then all that doesn't happen at the table so it can't be an elegant solution because it's not a solution it's you know the, the things that you say should happen don't happen the examples mm. of play i've seen aren't what happens at the table could be i've been very unlucky but i've played this a lot it's one of those games like you say it's been so ubiquitous and around for a while now mm. that i've played lots of different iterations and don't get the experience uh, and they can be wildly different so the original Apocalypse world was all about creating triangles so there'd be kind of you and a, another PC and then an NPC who was causing either a love triangle or had something that you both wanted or whatever it is so there's a lot of that yeah. kind of stuff supposed to be going on there's none of that in for example Blood of the Dark which John Harper considers to be a power by the Apocalypse game it's got a completely Who different feel to you know <laughs> Yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. For me, it isn't. But I'm not. I'm not telling him he's wrong or anything like that. He's perfectly entitled to to say what he thinks for his game and, and what it comes from. But I, I, in my head, the Apocalypse World game is not Blades of the Dark. They, they, they just play two completely different ways. Mm. And it's all about, for example, generally Blades of the Dark is all about playing together, whereas Apocalypse World is more about the the tension in the hard hold against the fronts that are coming at you from the outside world and the threats. Now, so for a game to be elegant, it needs to do a complicated thing quite simply, and you need to achieve that goal okay. uh, and do that reliably. And you, you know, you throw your game at several tables, and you get a good result out of all of them, and they all kind of like come to a common understanding, perhaps, or you know, 
you get a repeatable result, perhaps. Yeah, does it, does an elegant game have to be clever? I mean, you know, you think about um, from a purely mechanical point of view, classic traveller, two d six set target number sounds elegant to me. You could you could say that's not particularly. It was innovative at the time, but it's not now, is it? So it's not got any little bells and whistles. I sometimes think that a really good game system has to have a, a feeling of innovation to it or a wrinkle in it that you use. Like, for example, Momentum in 2D20. I quite like that as a concept. I've not played enough of it to get all the juice off that bone yet, but I want to go back and see some more. Um, does a game have to have a little bit of innovation and cleverness to it? It's something... There needs to be something cool about it. There needs to be something interesting that comes out of it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Otherwise, it's the, you know we get we're moving more towards the flipping a, a coin side of a game. You know, yeah. rolling two d six plus a number. <laughs> You're not too far away from just rolling one d six or flipping a coin kind of thing. It's that kind of element. Uh, so and you know, people say BRP is elegant, for example. But if if you do look at like the new RuneQuest character sheet, for example, there's a whole bunch of skills on there, and then you've got passions and spells and all kinds of things to use. Mm. You look at Call of Cthulhu, like just look at the chess rules or grappling or the sanity mechanics. Uh, again, yeah. I think the tr- the the ease for people to be is that well, BRP is percentiles, so you can look and say I've got fifty percent in medicine, so I've got fifty fifty chance of knowing this thing to go a bit coin flip. But it is mm. from that point of view, there's an elegance, there's a simplicity where you go. I've set all these skills up, and now I can just look at my page and I know literally what chance I've got of making that roll. So that's you know yeah. a bit of it. But as a whole, the system has got quite a lot to it, and you know a lot of head scratching to do around various bits and pieces to make it all work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and on the flip side of that, you've got plenty of games now who've made a system choice to make uh, the dice rolls uh, fairly opaque, actually. Mm. And they do far more than just tell you whether you succeed or fail, which BRP does very, very well. tells you whether you succeed or fail. Um, and even by degree, if that matters. But if you play like um, uh, Legend of the Five Rings or Edge of the Empire, the Star Wars games, where you've got your funny symbols on your funny-shaped dice, and there's plenty of them, and they're all bespoke, um, you're going to be rolling a pool of stuff, and you've really got to read the runes yeah. of what's going on. Now, again, that's a system that I've heard described as elegant. And I'm not sure that everybody can be right on their use of the word elegant. But what people, I think, are trying to say from that is that you can all lean forward, look down on that pool of stuff, and it can do far more than just tell you whether your blaster shot hit the stormtrooper or not. So you're getting a lot out of a little. I'm not sure I buy that argument, but that's another strand of games. They've got their own silo, the Funny Dice Brigade, and, you know, and they've certainly got a big tick in the innovation cool twist box because they're literally using different polyhedrals and icons to do the job that used to be done with pips on a Monopoly dice. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's particularly elegant. Uh, I know what I know what they're saying. A lot of people say, oh, once you play one session, you kind of get what the symbols are and you can read them, and you kind of can. But a lot of them cancel out, so you're kind of rolling a lot of dice, and a lot of those dice you then ignore, and some of them have blank faces on. And you know, sometimes you get in a situation. I think it was a Star Wars game I played where uh, a particular symbol means more threat or more like yeah. something bad happens to the players as a consequence. They still get what they want because they succeeded, but there's these threats that came up, and it happened like to the majority of the players at the table every round for about four rounds. And by the end wow. of that point, we were all just exhausted. That was one where everybody's trying to pitch in and think of other things that can happen. But there's only so many times you blaster jams 
or you run out of power or more stormtroopers turn up it's just like we've run out of mm. things now for there to be consequences about yeah. Uh, so it doesn't feel elegant because it's completely random about whether there are consequences or you get bonuses or not there is a learning curve to learn I don't care what anybody says neither of us are stupid but I've sat at that table with every time I go back to these games there's a little bit of thinking about what cancels yeah. out and is that the critical one or is that the normal one for this particular symbol because FFG can't keep the same symbols across the board they have to change them every time they bring out a new game or, or did while well, they had a role playing department anyway so it doesn't and like, being able to do multiple things with one dice roll is cool, like one roll engine, for example. But even that yeah. required people to say, "What's your statement of intent?" You go in a certain sense plus something order, then you roll all your dice at the same time. Then we work out what's happened, and you might lose dice by the time it gets around to your go. And what mm. seemed like up front from rolling some dice and doing a lot of things being cool, by the time you go through the whole mechanic of actually doing a round, it's quite hard work, you know. Yeah. You could have just all rolled individually and had a slightly different mechanic and it would have been a lot smoother. What would the smart party do? Anything but a one. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, just, I can't get past the sadness involved in a dice that's got a blank face on it either. It is a bit depressing. That's, just, that's quite sad. I mean, I have a lot of time for fate, but you know, a third of those faces have got nothing on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather see four minus signs than four blanks. <laughs> I think I would. I think I really would. Isn't that awful? Oh dear. But yeah, but you have to result, aren't yeah. you? For a dice. You know, and, and some of some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight, I think we've been quite careful not to talk too much about preferences, but there are little psychologies and things. I prefer to roll high than low. I prefer to roll more dice than fewer dice. Mm. I don't know if that's the most common feeling, but um, but I have rejected probably very good games on the basis that they're asking me to roll low or that they've said this whole game can be done with a single d6 and it's roll low that's like the killer combo <laughs> deal breaker for me i'm walking away from a game that just uses one d6 and you got to roll you're low. ready for the door no thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame you uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier uh, and this is another type of game that we've sort of got in a silence and which is the conflict resolution thing yeah so a game like duty and honor uh, for example, will be although Napoleonic and your soldiers and things like that, he does a good job of handling the different ranks and gives everybody like space at the table to have their little stories. So that's all cool. It's a bit like Sharp the Novels, or there's the uh, Hornblower series. There's Beach Quarters, which is like the naval version as well. So you like, I think a lot of people would jump to that thinking like, what's the combat system like, or that you know, because mm. it's a military game, people immediately think like, okay, well, how much damage does my gun do, and that kind of, just brings yeah. that out in gamers a little bit your war gamer starts to come out but it's not that bad at all really it's all in broad strokes so if you do have a skirmish quite often it'll be one set of card flops because it's cards rather than dice but you have one set of resolution and then you've either won that skirmish or you haven't so that's a whole different type of way of playing um, and again people who like playing tactically probably won't like that but I like playing that sort of game because in my head if I'm playing sharp novels you kind of want to have the Siege of Badajoz and all that other kind of stuff, but you don't want it to take a four-hour session of, you know, roll climb on your scaling ladder and all that kind of stuff. You want it to be more cinematic. And the recent Egon, which I've been playing quite a bit of, is similar. You have a contest. Everybody rolls the dice. You work out whether you've defeated the Harpies or not. The end. Move on. Because it's more about chewing through more plot and getting more cool stuff done by your characters who are all heroes or the stars of the show kind of thing. But it yeah. is our style yeah, of play, yeah. and some people won't like that. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's that's kind of relatively. Well, it's kind of not new tech anymore, is it? 
Uh, no, that's all. been around for a little while. It's, I still find it incredible that uh, that many games don't signpost their intent with this kind of thing, because mm. um, uh, everybody comes to a game with some level of baggage, don't they? Whether their experience is is just from watching D and D streams, or or maybe they they had an older sister that just like loved playing Hero Quest, yeah. And then you go and find a, a new game, and and you bring some baggage with you, and it, and it's going to be. I think it would come as quite a surprise to a few people. That you you line up against all the baddies, you're getting robbed by bandits. There's six of them. There's six of you. You've got all of your bits and pieces on your character sheet, and the GM says, um, "Well, we're going to do this with one roll." So what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that could be quite fright. And, and I think some games don't do a good job of saying that that's how it can be. Yeah, at all. Um, it's uh, is, but I don't think it's terribly a new technique. And I, I see it quite a lot in D and D even now. We kind of zoom in and out of task and conflict resolution. Uh, typically, like Overland Journeys, may not even have a dice roll. If that's a conflict resolution, I guess it could be. You know, you show up and you're exhausted. You know, we've just resolved that long-term conflict. But you know, you might have to then talk to a guard on the gate, and that goes into initiative rounds. Um, and and it can vary from one DM to another as to as to how much they zoom in and out of that stuff. And of course, players will want to sometimes get involved in task resolution in what the GM was thinking was going to be a conflict and and they, they, they veto it or they vote for it and it, it becomes more skirmishy uh, games can, can meld and adapt can't they? Yeah sure you can definitely do that uh, and there can be times where um, I suppose the GM fiat can lead to disappointment I would, I would call it <laughs> I think uh, as a, a slight industries game I was playing at Dragon Meet one time, me and Pete and uh, we we kind of like been messing around trying to work out what we're supposed to be doing for a while and, and then there's some baddies coming to get us so he set up this ambush in a warehouse and got like mm. a, a you know an enfilading fire all lined up and the traps and all we had all this kind of stuff and then the GM just went yeah you don't need to roll for that it just works and it was like oh. this is the most disappointing game in the world ever <laughs> like I just, now I actually want to roll yeah. the dice and use my system and if if having gone through that three hours of play when it was to that point and then not using the system it's like why are we even Pretending we're using slight industries because we're not rolling any dice, yeah. so we're we're yeah. not playing the game. Uh, and I guess some of the people may have been having fun; they might have just liked telling their story. But then you're not playing the system; you're not you're not getting the most out of the game. Well, that's there's a that's a removal of agency, isn't it? And I think that's a, again another thing that probably helpfully lined up. You know, I'm not suggesting that that role playing games should have like you know some kind of color coded traffic light system on the back <laughs> of the book for how much agency you get and lethality. Although now I think about it's it, not maybe, a terrible you know, idea. It's not a terrible idea because games that don't want you to have too much agency are um, are a type of game. They just are, and and sometimes I'm with you on this one. I mean, I think your referee in that Slay game decided to not play Slay for that moment, and that's bait and switch because you'd all sat down for a game of Slay. I'm not a fan of, and it is always GMs just choosing to hand wave a system. Mm. I think. It, Man, really? And you know, I've sat down before to get demos of games where people have said, oh, "I'm not using the magic system as is written in the book." By the way, <laughs> oh, great. Well, you know, don't call this a demo game, then, please, dude. Yeah. You know, so, and and I know that sometimes it's seen as kind of like um, this is your reward for your excellent planning is that we won't have to roll for it. We're playing games here. Yeah. Playing games. I want to roll for it, and don't tell me anything but a one either. That's, that's the worst that's thing ever. Coward's talk. That <laughs> yeah. is. Just don't fumble. Yeah, <laughs> play it out or don't play it out, but play the game that, that we're, we're here to play. Yes, 
And I think those sort of sudden system changes within a session, um, that's a GM problem that maybe books can't legislate for, mm. or a player problem. Um, yeah, you know, system designers, they're up against it really, aren't they? Because the, all the variables exist outside of their area of jurisdiction. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes, I t- to contradict myself a little bit, I do like tweaks sometimes. So, for example, the last one ring game we played, uh, we've travelled to this place and we're all supposed to make eight corruption tests each. And the GM just said, like, I'm not going to make you roll eight rolls for this thing. And it's just, <laughs> and we were like, good. We all agree, but I think that's yeah, the difference. Take there, the temperature the in the room, yeah. GM and players <laughs> agree with what we're going to do, not just I'm going to hand yeah. away this thing and ignore it. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and you know, in fairness, mate, I think if it's handled that way, I love it sometimes when you use the term smash cut. You know, we just move out of a scene and then we go straight to another one. Is everybody cool with that? Good. It's a one minute nego. It's not a one minute. It's a one second negotiation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and if everybody's happy, then move on. Uh, but yeah, I think bait and switch is probably not great and. And um, but that's not a system problem. No, <laughs> unless they've, the system has been so poorly put together that even the person who bought it sat you down for the scenario and made the tea and got you all round their house has decided they cannot face it. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get lynched. Which has happened. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing that. Oh man, alive. <laughs> I've seen it happen loads of times though. Like, oh, I hope this doesn't go to a gunfight because whoa, this system's a hot mess when it comes to those. Oh, is it excellent? Why have you given all the characters guns then? Because <laughs> you're not going to use them. Yeah. Oh, don't don't use sorcery in Conan. Oh no, don't go there. Oh really? I really want to go there now. By the way, I've not looked at it. <laughs> Lovely you than me. <laughs> All right, so uh, right, we have not we've not given anybody any hard facts here on which systems are the ones to solve role playing games because I guess that doesn't exist, does it? But if we had to think of some faves, personal faves, mate, what's the system that gets your blood up all the time? That yeah, I think I know what you. I mean, people are sick of me saying it to be honest. (laughs) Cold City, for for your action adventure (laughs) games, Savage Worlds. Uh, If you want a game about uh, hidden agendas uh, and you know, people trying to manoeuvre around each other, that kind of stuff. If you want to play Game of Thrones in a political sense, pick up an old game from yeah. Contested Ground Studios called Heart War, which is great for that kind of stuff. It's got a twin sister called Cold City, which is based in Berlin, monster hunting with other people you can't trust. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would really recommend looking at any of John Harper's games, which we've reviewed a few of them lately. So Blades in the Dark, if you want to play Gangs of Thieves in a Dirty City, a Gone, if you want Greek mythic heroes, that's good as well. Uh, and no doubt Neil Gow will be bringing out the second edition of Duty and Honor uh, this year, I would expect. Because uh-huh. uh, that is good for that conflict resolution thing I was saying. If, quite often, things that games get wrong is military structures or when someone's a leader that can tell other players what to do. That kind of yeah. thing's rubbish, but that game handles it really well. And I think uh, to give you uh, or certainly our listeners an idea of elegant, the card system in that is pretty elegant. And that the right. face and the number and everything of the card makes a difference in the game. It, it, it just works out. The ship combat's the best ship combat there is in beta quarters of any game I have experienced in a role playing table. So those are my top picks. And I guess the one ring for Tolkien type stuff. Although be aware that is a super quirky system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. For me, um, again, no surprises. I really like D20. I've kind of, you know, warmed to the old girl. 
it's, it rattles a bit and it's a bit like the Millennium Falcon you have to like sometimes smack the console <laughs> and, <laughs> and things go boop 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 but you know it's uh, it did the Corellian running under 3.2 parsecs for me so I like that game very much um, a, as an aside by the way I have found a game that uses coin tossing as its resolution method oh, there had to be one didn't there <laughs> Underworld the RPG I own it actually oh. Underworld from the 90s when everything was possible um, it's designed to be a tabletop RPG and also a live action role playing game so there you go crossing the streams so you can play both at the same time um, and the idea is that you would use coins so you can carry them in your pocket and you might do a five difficulty um, test so you would get five coins and toss them to see how many heads and how many tails or whether they landed on the edge or rolled down the train can you imagine <laughs> walking around the streets of London tossing <laughs> multiple coins into the air people have enough trouble um, with dice and tables that are six foot long I can't imagine <laughs> tossing coins not one I recommend to be honest uh, anyway uh, interesting setting well worth a look but yeah leave, leave the coins at home other, other game systems that I have enjoyed um, I have um, I actually have quite a lot of time for Blades in the Dark as you've discussed I think that's a really nice little mini dice pool system that, that I really enjoy you get a lot out of a single roll um, that's good fun uh, when the dice come out stuff really matters uh, on the flip side of that uh, from way back in the day really I think these things are always longer ago than I think I had a lot of fun with the roll and keep systems that originally yeah. powered 7th C and Legend of the uh -huh. Five Rings they, they they hit my twin buttons of I want to roll high and I want to roll lots mm. uh, and that was a game that did a, just a really funky job of like you know roll 5 keep 3 that was a nice little combo but batch of D10s keeping the best ones out of the roll discarding others moving dice around and lining them up which one roll engine did really really well as well yeah uh, yeah all of those sort of dice pool systems are quite like a dice pool system it turns out yeah so if it's got one of those I'm, I'm in for it and that, that, that would include fate funnily enough what would the smart party do you all meet in a tavern lovely well we've gone well over our allotted time as, as I want but uh, yeah. we could talk for and have talked for many more hours about systems and such. So I think we should leave that one there for now. But if yeah, we'll come back to this, won't yeah, we? And we we always will. We don't don't mind talking about systems. Gamers love talking about systems. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say not many podcasts normally go for it with a system because it is clearly the world of features and bugs. Mm. It just is. But we don't mind going into it. If you please, if we've offended your favourite game, sorry about that. You know, but you know, we, we like to talk about games, and we and I think the system is is kind of a vital component of our discussions about all of them, isn't it? Yeah. And if you're out there in listener land and have a, a favourite system you think we might have missed, then do let us know because certainly at the time of recording, we're currently in lockdown, so we do have opportunity to play some games. So we might get a chance to bring something new and exciting to the table that neither of us have seen before. So that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like uh, seeing new systems and having them demoed to me and, and playing around with them myself. I, I enjoy novelty. So if the, so what's the weirdest game out there? I don't know. Maybe it's my coin tossing one, but it, or maybe it's the Iron Sky thing that you were talking about. As well, so. <laughs> Nominate your weirdest system. Um, I'd like to try and get a good game out of it. That'd be my challenge during lockdown. <laughs> good luck to you, Baz. Okay, well, thanks everyone for listening, <laughs> and we'll catch you next time. <laughs> See you guys.
You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy! The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers!